Well, our scripture reading for tonight comes from Genesis 17. Genesis 17. I'll be reading verses 1 through 9. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. There are pew Bibles in front of you in the King James translation if you would like to read along. Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. It's a little daunting to begin working at a church and within four days be asked to preach at the 200th anniversary. Uh, I asked... Some of the men that I worked with at the church back in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, what would you preach if you were asked to preach at the 200th anniversary of your church within just a few days of starting to serve there as their pastor? And uh, my boss back at that church just said, I have no idea. (laughs) Um, I am thankful to be part of this historic congregation And in particular, this historic moment, it is a grand heritage that I feel that I've inherited here. And it's a wonderful privilege to be able to serve this historic and faithful congregation. Now, it may seem a bit odd to you that I would, uh, that in celebrating our 200th anniversary, I would choose this particular text of Scripture to to preach upon, but there's a reason that I chose this portion of the book of Genesis. It's because at the 100th anniversary celebration of the building of this sanctuary, the Reverend John Calvin Brown McLaughlin preached on this very text. So I've taken excerpts from that sermon. I've adapted them to our 200th celebration uh, I'd like to re-preach uh, some of Reverend McLaughlin's sermon to you now. Reverend McLaughlin said, It was a man of wisdom and understanding who, upon being asked how early a child's training should begin, answered at least 50 years before the child is born. And it's to this principle implied in this reply that your attention is now invited. We celebrate the 200th anniversary of the founding of this congregation. The walls of the sanctuary were raised for the use not only of the men and women and children who first worshipped here, but for others who should come after them. 
We share not only the physical shelter of this place, we are blessed as well by the ancient covenant with God to which these walls bear witness. Our early training roots back here 50 years and thrice 50 years more before we were born. Accordingly, let us go back in imagination, not simply 200 years, but 250 years, give or take a few, to the winter day of 1790. For it was on January 16th of that year that a child was born in Shenandoah County, Virginia, to Colonel David Ruffner. This squalling, squirming infant is a child of destiny, for this is Henry Ruffner, who is marked to be the father of Presbyterianism throughout the Kanawha Valley. This is the founder of this church. For when the boy was six years old, divine providence led his father to move to Kanawha, and nine years later to settle here at the Salians, where his business in the manufacture of salt was flourishing. Henry Ruffner was educated in the famous classical school of the Reverend Dr. John McElhenney in Lewisburg and at Washington College at Lexington, where he studied theology also under the celebrated Dr. Baxter. Then president of the college in 1815, Henry Ruffner was licensed to preach by the Lexington Presbytery. Though he was not ordained until three years later, he became the minister and pastor at large of Canal. In 1819, he organized the Canal Presbyterian Church, which embraced congregations here at the Salines and at Charleston. During the early years of the congregation here, <clears throat> during the early years, the congregation here worshipped and a log structure built by Ruffner's father called Colonel Ruffner's Meeting House. The congregation in Charleston met in the Mercery Academy, the ground on which was erected being donated also by Colonel Ruffner. In the same year the Canal Church was organized, Henry Ruffner accepted a call to be to a professor, professorship at Washington College where he continued for nearly 30 years, first as a professor and later as president of the college. It was then under Dr. James Moore Brown's ministry that this present building was erected. It was dedicated December 13, 1840, with Drs. Brown and Ruffner in joint leadership of the service. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell the many who have gone from this church and its influence to carry the great effects of the saving gospel taught and preached here to bless the common ways of the world. There are many, of course, who are unknown to me, but the saints who have gone before us in gospel ministry have their names graven on the tablets of the hearts and many a home in this valley and are written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. Well, this should be said, that we are the inheritors of more than a name and a tradition. Our greatest heritage is the imperishable treasure of a covenant with God made for us by those who have gone before he promised to be their God and Savior, and not only theirs, but of their children, which should follow. They committed their children and their prosperity to him who is faithful that, ha <clears throat> who is faithful that has promised to be a continuing father and an everlasting covenant to all generations. Our fathers were mindful of such a covenant which God makes with his children and which is held forth in the scriptures. They wrought and prayed by it. They lived and died in the consciousness of it. The clue to this issue has come to me directly from the words of those stalwarts, James Moore Brown and Stuart Robinson, former ministers here at Knoll Salines. 
Stuart Robinson wrote a wonderful book on the gospel entitled Discourses of Redemption. The content of this book is the covenant of God with his redeemed church, and a constant theme is the covenant with Abraham. Robinson rightly pointed out in this book that the covenant with Abraham is the divine charter of the visible church. There is no other charter found in Scripture. This is the chartered visible society, the church in which God sets some as apostles, and some as prophets, some as pastors and teachers under the New Testament age. And Robinson wrote, far back at the very root of the visible church, and fundamental in its charter, we find the rights of our children to a place with us in the church as Christ's spiritual commonwealth, just as really and truly they are born citizens of the visible commonwealth of Christ as they are born citizens of the commonwealth of the United States or of Great Britain. This gospel was preached to our forebears to encourage them to live by the provisions of the Holy Scripture in teaching God's laws and precepts and his gospel to their children and to write them on the posts of their house and on their gates. One of the early elders of the Canal Salines Church was Isaac Noyes. It has been written of him that, that few did more to promote Christianity in the Canal Valley than he did. Then this record of him is preserved. Following the divine injunction, he taught the religion he professed to his children and to his children's children. Truly, they will continue to rise up and call him blessed. Let us not despise this birthright. The full blessing of the covenant is not received by us automatically. They are nourished by prayer and cherished by genuine faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. We can shut ourselves out of the covenant by our neglect of God's promises, and God is able to raise up sons to the fathers of these stones. Has he not done as great in the regeneration of our own stony hearts and in the encompassing with his divine love our unworthy souls? We cannot, as Arthur John Gossip puts it, maintain our place in the covenant by rumors of a faith blown to us from our fathers. We must make it our own by constant renewal of the covenant, by continued acceptance and faith of his promises, which are unto you and to your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Well, I thought these were wonderful words from one of our spiritual fathers, And what I love most about this sermon is that Reverend McLaughlin understood some very true things, not just about this particular church, Canal St. Leans, but rather some true things about the church throughout history. First, that we are, by faith, heirs of Abraham. And that means that the covenant promises that God gave to Abraham are for us if we are trusting in Jesus Christ. What are those promises? One of them is that Abraham would be the father of a great multitude of nations. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that we are part of that fulfilled promise to Abraham? The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 3 that by faith, we are the seed of Abraham, heirs according to 
the promise. I always find this amazing. Do you think Abraham, when God gave him that promise, could ever imagine that we would be here tonight in the 21st century worshiping together on a landmass that Abraham didn't even know existed and yet calling on the name of the same covenant-keeping God, trusting in the same covenant promise that God gave to him. That's an amazing thing. Secondly, we have the promise that Abraham would be given a land to dwell in forever. And that too, brothers and sisters, is a promise for us, a promise that will be fulfilled when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in glory and consummates the new creation. Then we will live in a land where God will be our God and we will be his people and his dwelling place will be among us forever. Reverend McLaughlin also understood another great truth about the church. And that truth is that the covenant promises are not only for us, but they are also for our children. And so his charge to the congregation of Canal Salines a hundred years ago is my charge to the congregation of Canal Salines tonight. It is to be faithful in instructing our children and shepherding our children and discipling our children in the ways of the Lord. If the Lord tarries and this church has the privilege of celebrating its 300th anniversary, brothers and sisters, it will be because we as a congregation were faithful to the call to teach and instruct our children in the ways of the Lord. And they, in turn, were faithful to their children to teach them the ways of the Lord. The faithful proclamation of the gospel must begin with our covenant children. The promise, as the Apostle Peter reminds us in Acts chapter 2, is not only for our children, but for all who are far off. What does that mean? It means that we are to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only to our children, but also to those around us, to the world around us. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are a royal priesthood. And that means that part of what that means is that we are to show the world around us the truth of who God is. We faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all. That's our call as a church, to know Jesus Christ and to make him known. Brothers and sisters, we truly do have the best news that the world has ever heard. So why wouldn't we want to proclaim this gospel to the whole world? I once heard a story of a Christian missionary, and I don't know if it's true or not, so I'll just frame it by saying I don't know if it's true or not, but it, if it is true, it's a remarkable story. And he was, standing at a foot of, uh, he was standing at the foot of a mountain having a discussion with a Muslim and a Hindu man. And as they were standing at the foot of the mountain, the Muslim and the Hindu man were speaking about religion. And they were saying something to the effect of all the religions of the world have the same goal. They're all trying to blaze their own path 
up that mountain to God. The Christian man said to them, friends, what if I told you that instead of trying to blaze your own path up the mountain to God, God himself will come down the mountain to us. The Muslim the Hindu man both responded by saying that would be the greatest news we ever heard. Friends, that is the news that we have the privilege of declaring both to our children and to the world. We have the privilege of proclaiming that God in the person of Jesus Christ did come down to us. He came down to us from his heavenly throne. He gave up the riches of heaven. He came and dwelt among us, entering into our suffering. He came and was betrayed by the hands of his own brothers, put to death in the cruelest of ways on the bloody cross. And there, as agonizing as his physical suffering was, it was nothing compared to the spiritual suffering he endured as he was making satisfaction for our sins taking the eternal punishment that we deserve so that you and I can be forgiven and be brought into fellowship with the Holy God and be adopted and have the privilege of calling the triune God Heavenly Father. And he died. He died in his body. He suffered spiritual death. But friends, the power of death could not contain Jesus Christ. He rose again victoriously over sin, over death, over the devil. And he guaranteed that for all who look to him in faith, they too will have eternal life in a land flowing with milk and honey, in a land where God will be our God and we will be his people and his dwelling place will be among us forever. That's the good news that we get to tell the world. God came down that mountain to us and through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are taken back up the mountain to be with our loving triune God forever. Brothers and sisters, there are two reasons why you and I are here tonight. It is first because our spiritual fathers and mothers before us proclaimed the good news that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came and died and rose again. They faithfully proclaimed the good news that Jesus offers us, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of everlasting life to all who would repent and trust in him for their salvation. They were faithful in their call to teach and preach the gospel to their children and to all who are far off. But secondly, and primarily, most importantly, we are here today because at its core, the faithfulness of our spiritual fathers and mothers was the natural outflowing the natural response to the eternally faithful God. God is the one who has preserved this church. God is the one who has held us fast. Were it up to us, our faith would have fell. We would have been like so many churches 
whose lamps have been put out by the Lord Jesus Christ because of our unfaithfulness, because of our apostasy. But God in His eternal faithfulness has preserved this congregation. And we pray that He will continue to preserve it. That Canal Saline's Presbyterian Church would continue to be salt and light here in Malden and in Charleston and West Virginia and to the ends of the earth to the praise and glory of our Heavenly Father and to the exaltation of His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.